0: Blog TALK RADIO And good evening. My name is Ryan Miner. With me, Minor. I have Joseph Gannon from Damascus. Oop. Sometimes audio problems. With me, I have Joseph Gannon from Damascus. Like that again. My name is Ryan Miner, and you are listening to the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. And I am your host of A Minor Detail. We broadcast every Wednesday at 9 o'clock p.m. On BlogTalkRadio.com/slash A Minor Detail, and this week our topic that we are discussing is poverty. It's a big topic for us, especially in Montgomery County. And I want to start by saying that this is a, a very sensitive topic, and we're going to approach it as such. Um, and before we dive into the show, I, I just want to say that. This is a week, this is what we consider Holy Week of someone like myself who's uh, Catholic. Um, And I I hope that you you take an opportunity tonight and and, and hear this show and reflect on it and truly internalize what this means and how we can help um, uh, as people of faith or as people in our community who truly wants to make a difference. So I, I encourage you... Sit back and relax and take this all in because this is going to be an important show. And I'm really excited about doing this because we're going to talk about the culture and we're going to talk about policy and we're going to hope to provide solutions by the end of this show about how you can get involved to combat poverty in Montgomery County. The way we developed this show and the behind this um, began, we, we were in a discussion with one of our um, members of the board, I should say, and uh, we're very passionate here at Change Montgomery County. And at Change Montgomery County, we're this is a nonpartisan issue, being a nonpartisan organization, and it's, a, it's an issue that transcends all politics because there's no party that monopolizes or capitalizes on poverty. This is a community-wide issue that we all need to tackle together as Montgomery Countyans as friends and neighbors and churches and organizations. And we're going to get get into that tonight and dig deep. So last Tuesday in Montgomery County, they held a Interfaith Works of Rockville, or I should say the Interfaith Works of Rockville. It held its 18th annual Companies Carrying Breakfast last Tuesday morning uh, in North Bethesda. And I'm going to bring on later, uh, in a few moments actually, the CEO of Interfaith Works of Rockville. His name is Shane Rock. And last Tuesday at the company's caring breakfast, he talked about the state of the safety net in Montgomery County, and they looked at the progress of helping needy residents. And included in that were Margot and Bruce Fonaroff, and they were named Humanitarians of the Year. And we're really happy to tell you that we have Margo tonight she's going to be joining the show hopefully around 9:15 as well as Marianne Costelli who last week at the company's caring breakfast she received the Legacy of Leadership Award uh Marianne she's a volunteer for the nonprofit's Friends in Action program and she mentors needy needy families uh she served on the board as the secretary chairwoman and uh vice chairwoman and So we're also going to be talking in the latter half of the show uh, with Diana Pierce, uh, Doctor Diana Pierce, a senior lecturer and director of the Center for Women's Welfare of the University of Washington uh, School of Social Work, and we're going to be talking about the self-sufficiency standard. And unfortunately, we we had originally asked Sharon Strauss, uh, who was the director of the Community Action Agency of Montgomery County, um, and Interfaith Works is a contractor underneath the uh, CAA, and unfortunately she was unable to join us, but she did pass along some material that I know that we're going to delve into this evening. And so tonight we're going to talk about some of the stigmas associated with poverty, going to talk about how we can make a difference as a community. And I'm going to have several questions uh, for my guests, um, and they're going to be able to tackle it. And I want to start out with a letter to the editor uh, that was uh, written, a guest column in the Montgomery County uh, – I should say the Capital Gazette. Um, and it was written by uh, Shane Rock and Delegate Andrew Platt. And they started out by talking about uh, the economic engine. And look, we all know Montgomery County, Maryland is an incredibly wealthy county. But there's also drastic inequities across the board from the east down to the west. And there's many organizations that are utilized in Montgomery County to tackle poverty-related issues. And sometimes the poverty level, and we'll go into the statistics, the figures are staggering. What it takes to raise a family of four and what Montgomery County considers as poverty. And we'll go into the self-sufficiency standard in the latter half of the show in these questions, how does one grow into poverty? How does it happen? Because everybody has the narrative. Everybody has a background about how they got into a situation of poverty. And it's our job, I believe, to show compassion for people. Because we want to, so- first we want to solve the problem, because it will contribute directly to to the growth of our economic prosperity in Montgomery County, and Maryland, and really around the United States. But as People of faith like myself, and and people who may not be of faith, who take on this cause because they value it, they believe in it, because we have a duty and obligation to help our neighbors and friends in need, and that's who we are as people, as Montgomery County. So I want to bring on the show, the CEO of Interfaith Works of Rockville, Shane Rock. Hey Shane, welcome to the show.
1: Ryan, thank you very much for having me on tonight, I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. I know we talked
0: offline, and uh, we were both really excited to do this show. And as I introduced in the the beginning, we talked about the the breakfast that was held last week. And we and I think you guys even had uh, Senator Cardin and Chris Van Hollen, Congressman from the Eighth District. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Both were uh, both were there, and we were very honored to have them uh, join us.
0: It was a full house, and this was an important event for the community because you gave an address on the state of the safety net, and you also followed that up with a, a guest column. So I first, I want you to introduce uh, yourself to the organization, a little bit about you, what you do for the interfaith works of Rockville, a little bit about your organization, and then we'll go right into the material.
1: Great. Um, I've been uh, the CEO of Interfaith Works, which serves all of Montgomery County since last July. So I'm relatively new, but not new to the issue of poverty. I've worked um, to ameliorate the effects of poverty and help people try to uh, come out of poverty and uh, and the experience of homelessness for most of my career uh, stretching back into the 1980s. Um, this, Position allows me to work with some tremendous support. Um, th- this community is amazing in how it comes together to rally to help people who are experiencing poverty. Uh, Interface Works enjoys the support of some 100 and 165 congregations of all faiths thr- throughout Montgomery County, more than 5,000 volunteers, 100 professionals. Um, it's an incredible effort to help people, and we serve more than 20,000 people a year.
0: So I I introduced the show we have an inequity problem I believe in Montgomery County. And it and it stretches all over this community and you have traditionally the eastern half of Montgomery County um, from my research tends to be a more consolidated and concentrated area where um people who uh, of wealth tend to migrate or um or live in in, in in those in those different areas, and then of course the eastern half, maybe down in the silver spring area um, tends to be where you find this abject poverty and you wrote a letter, Shane to the uh, the Capital Gazette um, and uh, you also that was also alongside uh, delegate Andrew Platt and I just want to mm-hmm. read some statistics and let's let's address these bullet by bu- bullet point by bullet point um, bullet point one. He uh, he wrote, in 2013, Montgomery County residents who made twice the federal poverty level income numbered 170,592. Your county may have a higher poverty rate, but imagine 170,592 impoverished people where everything probably
1: costs more.
0: And that is (laughs) – that stuck out to me. Can we speak to that?
1: Sure. I mean, that's about 17 out of every 100 people in the county, about 17% of the county. And that was an attempt to try to to, um, make it clear that the federal poverty uh, uh, line, which for a family of four is about $23,000, $24,000 in income per year, really doesn't capture the struggles that people who are the kind of working poor, making 200 percent of the of the federal poverty level, or about you know 46 or 48 thousand dollars, are facing, really costs much more than that to be able to afford a place to live, to pay for child care, transportation, all of the things that that make up the cost of living in this you know really expensive county. It's a wonderful place to live, but it is quite expensive, and that makes it difficult for low-wage earners to be able to to really make ends meet in the county.
0: I love this county. I I, I didn't grow up mm-hmm. here. I grew up in Washington County. And I lived there pretty much all of my life, and uh, I, I migrated here. Um, my family, we're, we're all here, and, and we really do love it um, because we're so close to – the epicenter of the world being Washington DC uh right. and it's just it's such a cool place there's there's a mixture and variety of um uh, of just people it's a melting pot it it feels like a an uh, a microcosm of the um, the melting pot of what the united states uh has become over the last you know 300 years mm-hmm. and we're and it's it's just a wonderful really wonderful place to live uh my better half and I, we have two children who go to elementary school. And I want to address that leading into your next bullet point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wrote about 36% of our public school children are eligible for free and reduced price meals, or what we call farms. And more mm-hmm. Montgomery County kids are on farms than the total student population of all but five other districts in Maryland. Children at every single Montgomery County school are eligible. And that, that hit me because you realize 36%, that's a huge figure in our public school system that they're ineligible for free and reduced uh, meals. Um, and I know that that is a, I don't want to say, it's not a burden, but it's definitely something that we, uh, people who are involved in combating poverty and you you yourself, you're in the trenches every day. That's a figure that really is shocking. What say you?
1: Well, and I agree. It is a shocking number. And and, I mean, what's not captured in that statistic is that over the last few years, that number has increased. So we've gotten to 36 percent from 29 percent just uh, five or six years ago. So we've seen an increase. Um, I mean, what that says to me is um, it's illustrating the struggles that young families are having in the county. Um, Really, if the, the poverty statistics that we find, the national, um, the census statistics tend to point out that if uh, a family has a child uh, when they're young, that is, mother, father, uh, under the age of 25, they're going to have much more a much more difficult time financially than parents who are older. And oh, you yeah. know, that makes a lot of sense, starting out in their careers. And what we're seeing in the school system is having that play out. Many of the families... Who are um, accessing the, or need the free and reduced price lunches are young families.
0: Sure, and there's, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, you start out. You know, I'm 29, and you know, I don't. I I graduated college in 2008, and I left, and I went to work in Washington D.C. and I I worked in um, for for Congress as I started out as a staff assistant, and I lived mm-hmm. on Capitol Hill. And and Shane, man, I got to tell you, it, you know, you you have to save and budget every single penny down, literally to the last penny, because you can't make it unless you do that. You have to save money, and half of your rent, you know, half of your salary is going to uh, yeah, a a nine hundred and fifty dollar one room efficiency in D.C. And it's this, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. and yeah, so right. here you are, you're you're just trying to learn. And I can – I can I feel for these young guys and young ladies who are graduating college, getting out, starting their careers. They may rent or some may choose to, to buy or some – many uh, end up moving back home. But there's many people who graduate high school um, and go out into the workforce and find a job, and they want to buy a house and live a, a regular traditional um, – uh, <laughs> the American way of life, working hard, moving up through uh, their job career and field. And look – it feels like it's impossible these days. What What do you think?
1: Well, you know, the, here's the interesting thing. I mean, we're unfortunately the the Horatio Alger myth is a myth. Um, a recent study um, by Princeton and Brookings Institution found that right. if you are born in the lowest quintile of income in the United States, you have a forty percent, forty two percent chance of staying in that quintile.
0: Shane, As I want you to evolved. hold that
1: thought just mm-hmm. just
0: for a yeah. second i wanna I want bring in Margot and Marianne to the conversation so welcome i I assume that this is margot and and Marianne on the line. How are you both?
2: i is on the line i'm fine margo's Margot's here too, and I'm fine. Thank you for asking.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh we're talking about poverty in Montgomery County on our Change Montgomery County Radio Network. Uh ladies, good evening. I'm Ryan Miner, I'm the host of this show, and uh we have with us Shane Rock, which you both know pretty well, and we were Yeah, re- ha- yeah so we're rehashing <laughs> the uh the community's breakfast that was held last week. And first I'd like to say to you, Margo, Congratulations on your award, and Marianne as well. Congratulations. These are important Thank awards. You. It, you're showing cultural work, and you are, you both are committed, passionate advocates uh, to streamline and find solutions to the poverty problem in Montgomery County, and you are in the trenches. You are battling this each and every day, and our hearts truly go out to you because you're making a sizable difference. And I'd like to talk about um we we were talking about Shane had written a letter alongside um a uh, a sitting Maryland delegate to uh to the the Capital Gazette and we were talking about some of his bullet points that uh he's addressing uh in this and so uh, i want to start with you Margot. you were named humanitarian of the year you're a former public school teacher and principal uh your husband is a retired senior government executive and management consultant and mm-hmm. so you you know your way around Montgomery County. So can you talk a little bit about your background, how you got started in your activism, and uh, a little bit about your Humanitarian of the Year Award? Well,
2: I worked for Montgomery County Public Schools for 32 years, and in the latter years I worked as an administrator both down county and up county, and both of those are pocket areas where there are – A lot of children coming to school hungry. They're uh, what we call farms, where they get free and reduced meals every day. They're children coming from homes where people can't provide, and I saw this direct. And uh, I've been retired now a number of years, and Bruce and I live in Park Potomac, which is a very wonderful community and certainly a probably one of what some people might consider an affluent part of the community and we really as a community wanted to give back and about 6 years ago we came up with an idea about in August having a social event for the neighborhood but making it partly a philanthropic uh idea and we came up with collecting brand new backpacks to provide to children going back to school whose families couldn't afford that luxury. And somebody in the community had some commitment or um, something that they had worked with Interfaith before, and they recommended Interfaith as the choice uh, group that we could do this activity for. And that's how it got started, and it's grown every year over the six years with us. Uh, this past year, collecting almost a 1,000 backpacks to give to needy children. And along with that, people donate school supplies and all the other things. And it, it is something close to my heart because I remember seeing kids come to school with their belongings in a you know plastic grocery shopping bag, and my kids you know, had to have a brand-new backpack every year when they went back to school, and many of those backpacks were... Retired, and they were nearly new. And uh-huh. I remember that a lot of them I started bringing them to give to some of those students at my schools who were thrilled to get a hand-me-down backpack. And, of course, now we do brand-new backpacks, which is almost like Christmas presents for many of these children in August before they go back to school. It It gives them a sense of self. It makes them proud. And certainly, as an educator, I see it as a way of they are ready to go to school. And as part of being ready to learn, they need to be ready to go to school.
0: Well, alongside you, uh, we have on the show tonight Marianne Sistelli. Uh, and Marianne, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us alongside. Uh, Shane Thank and Margo, you. and it's a pleasure to have you. And, again, congratulations on the Legacy of Leadership Award. Thank and uh, so I want to talk about you. You volunteered for the nonprofit's Friends in Action program, uh, and you helped mentor needy families in the community. You've also soor- served on the board as secretary, chairwoman, and now vice chairwoman of its uh, governance committee. Uh, Marianne, could you talk about the Legacy of Leadership Award that you were uh, given last week? And a little bit about your organization, Friends in Action, that you volunteer with.
3: Well, uh, Bruce, I, I, um, I'm sorry, um, uh, Ryan. Thank you so much. I am very, very honored to be on the show and to be able. And thank you for your uh, kudos about the award. As I mentioned in my uh, acceptance comments at the breakfast, I accepted the award on behalf of the clients of Interfaith Works because in my in my judgment, they are the ones who deserve the award. These are individuals who um, have, uh, you know, as I said, sometimes work two jobs, get up early in the morning to take two and three buses to get to work, go to our clothing center and, um, and for supplies and clothing uh, for their families. Um, these are the individuals that we serve and that we want to serve in, in Montgomery County. And is that, you know, the old cliche, were it not for the grace of God, there there would I be standing in that line. Um, the Leadership Award to me is probably the ultimate um, f- f- of my career. I'm a retired um, a scientist and have worked at the National Institutes of Health uh, for 21 years. Um, but it, it represents, uh, my com- in a sense, my commitment to, Interfaith Works, it started with Friends in Action. At at one time, Interfaith Works had a different name. It was called uh, Community Ministry of Montgomery County, and it's a 43-year-old organization. And somewhere along the line, I don't remember what year it was, I was on the board at the time, the name was changed to Interfaith Works. So the Friends in Action program that that I initially, my husband and I initially, became involved in. We saw a little notice in the church newsletter, in our church newsletter, uh, about mentoring families, and I said to my husband, you know, we we should look into this. We can do this. I think we can do this. So that was the beginning of of my 15-year tenure with uh, Interfaith Works, and I'm really thrilled to get this award. It it means a lot to me.
0: We're thrilled. To I want to you.
2: congratulate Mary Anne because <laughs> I you, I wonder her story at the breakfast touched my heart because I've worked with with children like that and you so often hope that something you did along the way made a difference. In their lives, and when she told the story about the young man who recognized her at the grocery store, you know, it brought tears to my eyes because I, I've been down that road myself, and I want to congratulate her. It Thank was a you. wonderful honor for her to receive, and, and please you. accept my congratulations,
0: Mary Thank you. Yeah, yeah and I no, could just he,
3: real co- comment on that story. It was a, a
0: uh, when we that, that's what I was going to ask action. you to to, to oh, go into, if if you would, yeah. Marianne, could you would you be willing to to share that story with the audience this evening?
3: I'd be happy to. Okay. When we started, uh, my husband and I began with the Friends in Action program. Uh, the idea was a year commitment. We actually had to sign, uh, um, kind of a, not you know an informal contract. We did, and the family did, and we were assigned a family that there were four boy, three boys and one girl there was a um a single mother and with four other people we we were a team of six we worked with this family and we did various things we helped the kids with their with their homework we took them to the library we took them to get their make sure they got their eyeglasses and their doctor's appointments et cetera. Et cetera. one day we took a group we took this the kids on a little walk on the CNO canal nothing eventful really we're on our way back, and one of the boys was behind. And he stopped behind, and he was kind of crouched to the ground. And we looked back at him, and he said, what are these? What are these? We had no idea what he was talking about. So we went back. What had happened was there was a, law, a big rock that had a crevice, and it was filled with water. It was teeming with tadpoles. He said, "What are these?" And we explained to him. You know, they become frogs, et cetera, et cetera, And we walked on. Ten years later, we 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 finished our our year with this with this family. And ten years later, I was in one of the grocery stores, and I saw this young, handsome young man, mm-hmm. kind of looking at me. And he came to me, came up to me, and he said, "Are you Miss Marianne?" <laughs> he said, "Yes, I'm Miss Marianne." And who are you? Which of the boys are you? He told me. So we chatted briefly, and he said, "And how's Mr. Tony? And, you know, my husband." And he said, "Hey, Miss Marianne." He said, "Do you remember the day you guys took us on the on the on the uh, hike, and we saw all those tadpoles?" He said, "I'll never forget that." I thought to myself, all the times we took these kids to to, you know, the library, to school, to get their glasses. Right. This child remembered an event that apparently had some significance to him, and it brought him it a touched great deal his of heart. joy. It, it touched, touched his, his th- heart. Yeah, he right. was a kid. He was like, I think he was 10 years old at the time.
2: I've seen but, lots of those kids in my years in yeah, Montgomery County Public yeah. Schools, and you don't know what event's going to touch their heart. But yeah. you will always be someone special in that child's heart. Because of that special day, Marianne. Yeah, Thank I want to. So uh,
0: that that is that is remarkable. I, these stories, and I'm sure your story is mirrored by many many other families. And Shane, you know, I want to ask you, um, what do you? A question: People of faith, like myself, and many others, mm-hmm. and people who are listening, um, w- could you talk about the influence of faith and and God and on and, and the people who work with your organization and how different communities. Uh, of faith and organizations that are centered in faith reach out into Montgomery County and work with families and individuals uh, and combat poverty and make a sizable and significant uh, shift in their
1: life? Sure. I mean, no matter the faith, no matter what denomination within a faith, that one common thing among people of faith is that they believe in opportunity in helping their neighbor, neighbors helping neighbors. And so we find, you know, in Interfaith Works, we're sort of a vehicle for people of of faith or outside the faith community to work with their neighbors in need, to give them a hand up. And so what we find is, you know, be it the Sikh community, the Christian community, the Jewish community, the Muslim community, the Buddhist community, all of these communities... They, were all, they all have many people who want to engage in helping, but they don't always know how to do it. And so what Interface Works is able to do is provide great opportunities for people to work within their congregations or as individuals with people in the community who are their neighbors who really need um, some help. The Friends in Action program is a wonderful example of that with more than 120 trained friends in action volunteers you know providing you know nearly 3000 hours of service per year working with about 40 vulnerable families and they help those families to become independent and self-sufficient love it really wonderful program so that's the kind of thing we do where we're not about you know, we're not about just providing a band-aid. We're really about transformative work to help people com- become stabilized and independent in housing and in their family situations so that they can be contributors to the community.
0: Yeah, what so what are some of the organizations uh aside that parallel your organization, Interfaith Works of Rockville, where families and individuals, uh young people like myself uh, at all, uh, and, and and someone that was interested a, a, and have it in their hearts to reach out and help poverty in this community. Where can they go, and who can they contact?
1: Well, there are a number of great, great organizations in Montgomery County. I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about it, is the safety net really, truly is a strong safety net of many organizations. Um, I mean, certainly uh, go to our website, org iWorksMC.org, and we have a whole section on volunteering. Um, so that's one great place to start. A wider circle in uh, Silver Spring offers other opportunities to help uh, work with individuals and families in their center there. Um, there are programs providing mental health services. Uh, Cornerstone Montgomery is a wonderful organization providing that sort of service. There are just a whole host of efforts. Probably at your local, if you're a a member of a faith community, uh, there will be a display in your um, your place of worship for various programs that that congregation is already affiliated with, and that's a wonderful place to start.
0: Right. Well, uh, yeah. I want I want each of you to, uh, as we're moving into the latter half of our show, um, Marianne, I I want to start with you. Can you leave us with a final thought about? Poverty in Montgomery County, and what people like us can do to get involved.
3: Well, I've thought about this um, a lot, and and, uh, let me just preface my comments by saying that as retired scientists, my husband and I are also uh, uh, volunteer visiting professors at Coppin State University in Baltimore, Now I know that's a different county, but I just want to use it as an example. And And my husband, uh, Anthony uh, Renee, and I talk about this a lot. How does one encourage students to p- pursue the career that they want to pursue? How does one uh, assist an individual who perhaps has lost a job, lost their home, lost their apartment, etc? Right. In my mind, and it's number one, it's training but it's also a mentoring. What we do what we try to do with the students and what we did with the friends in action program and what and what interfaith works does with the um with the job readiness program at community vision we have individuals who are who serve as mentors with one-on-one with clients or as we do one-on-one with a student to try to follow them help them so what can individuals in Montgomery County do? Oh my goodness. This is the most wonderful county ever. We have so many talented, well educated individuals. <clears throat> I think anybody who has, you know, a good heart and has the right. intention to do so can be a mentor. could be a mentor to a student. One student. Now here's the story about this kid with the tadpoles. I mean, my goodness. Um, one one uh, anybody can be a mentor to one student or a family or mm-hmm. an individual who may have lost. I'm going to pick
2: it. up on something that Marianne is saying because yep,
0: uh, Margo, I want you to to finish it out. We only have about another minute on this segment, so uh, and then Shane, I'd like you to finish out the conversation. So Margo, you go, and then Shane. So we've got about a minute. Yeah.
2: Okay, well, what I wanted to say is I, people have the illusion that Montgomery County is very wealthy, and it does have wealthy pockets, but it has a lot of needy areas as well and needy children. And I think something that that needs to be done is to help other children understand that not everybody has. And that's a job not only for parents, but the schools to also do. They do it a lot with community service for kids, but we need for children to be empathetic, and that needs to get across because too often people don't realize that the kid sitting next to them in school is going home to an empty house or is going home to an empty cupboard, doesn't have dinner, doesn't have have things, and no one is helping them learn the empathy and the helpfulness that they could give to their peer. And I think that's one of the things that really could be increased and improved on throughout the
1: the county and the schools.
0: Very important. Shane, final word.
1: Final word. Whatever... If you are moved by the needs of your neighbors, get involved. Please contact us at Interfaith Works, and we'll be happy to um, set you up with an opportunity to serve a meal or uh, sort clothing or work with a family as mentors. Um, You can get involved. You can make a difference, and we'd love to help in making that happen.
0: Well, God bless each of you. Uh, Shane, uh, Margo, and Marianne, congratulations on a much well-deserved uh, Thank you award. so much. And we will be in the trenches with you and myself. I'm going to try to get involved as much as possible. Uh, with and we this. hope this you'll is...
2: come see the uh, Park Potomac Ice Cream Social for charity next <laughs> August 20th, where we're raising those backpacks for Interfaith, and we hope to collect even more than a thousand next August. So maybe Ryan, you can come and um, bring a backpack.
0: We will. We and have your uh, the kids. The kids would love it. And I always appreciate those plugs for different events. So <laughs> I have to leave it at that. God bless each of you. Come back <laughs> Thank again. Thank you very and we're much, t- Ryan.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so Thank much. Good, much. You, good night. Good
0: night. All right. Good night. So I, the next guest I want to bring in, uh, we have uh, Dr. Diana Pierce, uh, who is a senior lecturer and director for the Center for Women's Welfare at the University of Washington School of Social Work. Dr. Pierce, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Good evening. It's great to talk to you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we we began the show with uh, Shane Rock, who is the CEO of Interfaith Works of Rockville. And we talked to Margot uh, Fornoff, who is the Humanitarian of the Year, and Marianne Sistelli, uh who earned the Legacy of Leadership Award. And we got to talk to some really great people, and we're talking to you now. And you have a really defined expertise and I hope you you can share that with us tonight. Um, and we're going to lead in uh, with uh, what we call the self sufficiency standard for Maryland. And you helped to write this. You put together this piece. So, uh, Dr. Pierce, could you open this up for us and talk a little bit about yourself, uh, your passions for uh, and, and and your field, and uh, we'll then we'll go right into the self sufficiency standard for Maryland. Well, the
4: self-sufficiency standard is a measure of how much it takes to meet your basic needs without any subsidies. So that's without public assistance or private subsidies like help with babysitting or going to the food bank. This is how much it costs to meet your needs for food or housing, for child care, and to pay your taxes. Uh, without any uh, without any help. And, of course, it varies. It depends upon the size of your family, how old your kids are, because child care costs are quite different. Uh, food costs are different. Health care costs are different by age, uh, right. as well as where you live. And, of course, Montgomery County is one of the more expensive places to live in this country.
0: Absolutely. So let's break some numbers down. Let's break some statistics down. For a family of four, average family of four, what is the basic standard of living or cost of living that one must earn in order to to be to afford the basic necessities?
4: Well, if you have two adults, a preschooler, and a school age, so a preschooler would need full time child care, school age child half time you know, before and after school, uh, and you've got two adults, so they're both working. They're both working full time. They would both have to earn almost twenty dollars an hour in Montgomery County, Whew. Maryland. Wow. um that that totals to almost eighty three thousand dollars a year
0: well that's that's a staggering number um and then and that's the, really,
4: that's a really bare bones budget that you know the the food budget is only groceries it doesn't have any takeout. it doesn't have a pizza it doesn't have a latte um mm. it's very bare bones The amount of housing is the amount people are given who are given housing assistance you know this is what is considered minimally adequate by the government
0: well dr pierce in my family we budget every dollar because we have to and uh that includes healthcare costs education costs and uh having two children at uh 8 and 11 years old um kids tend to want things sometimes and uh you know it's it's it, it it's not always easy but we do we we make sure that we provide with within our means but there's families who Live at the poverty line, and they may not always be able to do the same. So, I, I want to ask you in Montgomery County, what is that poverty line?
4: Well, I think that the, the self sufficiency standard measures what people mean by poverty. Mm-hmm. I mean, people understand poverty to mean you can't meet your basics. You can't put a roof over your head, or you can't put food on your table. Uh, and so, this measures what you need to be above that, to have. Income to, in, that is minimally adequate to meet those um, basic needs, and we don't know yeah. how many people in, in Montgomery County, Maryland, fall fall below that. That's another study, but um, uh, but we do know that it's pretty expensive to live in Montgomery County. Uh,
0: well, uh, you you've studied this at length, and you've detailed the historical trends of Montgomery County, and it was sometime around, I believe, two thousand and seven, where. Uh, There was a shift in how people lived. And could you go through uh, historically um, how the cost of living, uh, how how it was derived, and where it is today versus maybe 10 to 15 years ago?
4: Uh, Well, I can't tell you every detail for for, for Montgomery (laughs) and County Maryland, but in general what's been happening is that particularly in the 2000s, and we've been measuring this in Maryland since 2001. And the most recent numbers I'm giving you actually are 2012. So that's even an underestimate because we're now three years out from that. So um, those numbers I gave you, like the $20 an uh, hour for both adults um, in a four-person household, uh, that's all 2012. Uh, mm-hmm. But in those years, particularly up through 2007, costs increased quite rapidly, as we know. Um But even during the recession from 2007 to 2012, costs kept on rising even though people's incomes fell or stagnated. Um, And in general, what's happened over that period of time uh, from 2001 to 2012, the the average increase in uh, uh, self-sufficiency wage is been over fifty percent, fifty four percent.
3: Wow!
4: Yeah. The m- increase in median earnings <clears throat> across Maryland has only been twenty five percent.
0: Right. Right. Um, so, so, w- so
4: you have you have a real um, a real gap emerging there between people. What's happening in people's earnings? Their wages are not keeping up with the increase in costs. And even during the recession, you would think that things would be flat. But, in fact, these basic costs have gone up, and they're going up faster than inflation. So the CPI, if you just increased wages by the CPI, you'd still fall behind uh, for at this basic needs level because the cost of child care, health care, housing, uh, transportation, they've all gone up faster than inflation.
0: Well, in your expertise, uh how much of uh, your wages uh, should be dedicated to your your housing or mortgage expenses?
4: Well, we, we build these budgets up by what the cost of each item is independently. So we don't mm-hmm. say 25% for housing or whatever. So if you have young kids, you could be spending as much or even more on your child care as you do on your housing. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have young kids you know, your, your housing is going to be a bigger percentage. So going at it turn, kind of from percentages doesn't work as well. And also it varies from place to place. Some places child is more expensive. Sometimes housing is more expensive. Those are the two big ones if you've got young children. Um, if you don't, then it's going to be housing, you know, followed by all the others. I mean, one thing is clear is that food is much less expensive than it used to be. Um, and housing has become more expensive Health care has grown very fast Transportation, both private and public transportation Have gone up um, Especially during the recession for some reason A lot of um, public transportation has
0: oh, yeah. gone, uh, sure. uh, gone
4: up Gone up
0: well, I want to read to you uh, a few statistics and bullet points, and uh, this was assembled by uh, a community action board in Montgomery County. Um, there's approximately, and, and I should uh, also uh, preface this that it was uh, it was done last year in 2004, and I, I, I'm not suspecting it would be any heavy changes in numbers, but there's approximately 1 million residents in Montgomery County, it's the highest population density in the state of Maryland behind the city of Baltimore. And between 2010 and 2012, Montgomery County saw the largest increase in overall population in Maryland, which was an increase of 32,932 residents. Um, Wow. Yeah, and demographically, uh, in 2010, the county became a majority-minority county. Um, today, There's uh, the nine Hispanic whites make up about 46.7% of the county's population, 19.4% of the population is African American, the 16.6% of Montgomery County's population is Asian, and 18.3% of the population is Hispanic or uh, Latino. Um, there's 150,000 residents who are limited in their English proficiency, And so here's the meat and potatoes of the poverty in Montgomery County. 6.9% of the population of Montgomery County, that's about 69,379 people, uh, live below the federal poverty line. Uh, 18.3% of the population live below 200% of the federal poverty line. 14% of female-headed households live in... Uh, poverty 57.7% of all county residents living in poverty speak a language other than ling- uh English at their home and uh it it goes on to um to talk about the different race um so I have a question for you what extent does race and ethnicity language what does that how does that influence the poverty level especially in Montgomery County
4: Well of course there's no direct measure of that you know that relationship. We know that that uh, pe- uh, people of color uh, from all different um, backgrounds are disproportionately lo- uh, lower income, and that obviously is a combination of some of the, some of those people, as you mentioned, English is a second language, which makes it difficult for them to command as higher wage in the wage market, mm-hmm. um, and so that limits them. And they may actually be very well educated, but but without the english language um at least initially when they when they come here it makes it more difficult for them to um sure. to do to to do, do well so i mean it be just education it's also uh, it can be language um and there's you know there's many issues and of course there's also racism and uh racial right. discrimination um and also immigration based you know uh, discrimination as well
0: uh Dr. Pierce uh what is uh there's there's poverty in Montgomery County and then there's of course the self-sufficiency uh some people may be confused of um a little bit about what that actually means um you have one versus the other uh could you speak to that you you obviously have that expertise and uh, could you just clarify
4: and the federal poverty level was developed a half century ago by um a woman named Molly Orshansky, And at that time, she didn't have a lot of information. She certainly didn't have the computers or anything. But she did have standards for what people, nutrition standards. So she priced out the price of, um, and used what actually the Department of Agriculture had been pricing out the cost of meeting your basic nutrition needs. And then she looked at consumer expenditure surveys and found that families spent about a third of their income on food, no matter what level that was the average. And so she said, well, if they meet their nutrition levels, if we multiply by three, then the other two-thirds will cover the housing and transportation and their other needs. Um, Almost immediately, that percentage started to drop, and she tried to change that percentage. It had dropped to 28% within a few years. And they said, no, it's frozen. So her poverty levels have only been updated with the Consumer Price Index, and as I'm finding that, that's going to make it fall farther and further behind.
0: Well, sure. With so when, the DPI, she said, yeah. when
4: she set up the federal poverty level, it was about 50% of median income, 50% of that halfway point income. It's now below 30% of median wow. income. So it no longer measures, you know, what what you need. And it also didn't vary geographically. So... Even within Maryland, there's a huge difference. And the difference between Garrett County and Montgomery County is like three to one in terms of the cost of living. And, and so it doesn't vary by geography. It didn't vary by the age of kids as well. Because it, it was only based on that one thing of food. And the presumption was there was a one-third to two-thirds relationship between food and everything else. And things have changed. There's new costs like child care, um that weren't factored in at that time taxes weren't really factored in because low income people didn't pay taxes um they only taxed higher income uh families at the time
0: so, so the i was going to ask the, the I was going to follow up with that so the federal poverty line as a standard for providing social services for the poor that's not a realistic measure
4: no now, okay. and not by anybody's standard, not even in low-cost places, not even in Mississippi or Alabama. Even there, the self-sufficiency standard is higher um, than the federal uh, poverty level. Mm-hmm. It's okay as a historical marker, but even then, it's a moving target. You know, it keeps getting lower and lower relative to the income distribution. And at some point, it's not measuring anything that anybody would consider poverty. So you have this situation where people are above the poverty level and therefore above eligibility levels for many programs. And even, uh, you know, food stamps is 130%, uh, women, infant, and children, 185%. And, you know, even above that, you find yourself above those lines but below your standards. So you're having to make choices. Um, You have to figure out how am I going to, I don't have enough for food, housing, transportation, child care. So what's going to give?
0: Well, here's a, Even here's though a I
4: have health care, I don't pay my premium. <laughs>
0: that's right. Well, yeah, and and that's many families are experiencing that uh, as, as we speak. They're sitting at the kitchen tables uh, talking about that and making those tough decisions every day. And that's what this show all, is all about. Uh, with our Change Montgomery County Network, uh, we're we're bringing greater awareness to that. And uh, I have a question. Um, People, they might say that poverty that exists in Montgomery County is more of a result of poor planning or maybe low-income housing in the area. And while it may not be the only contributing factor, um, Dr. Pierce, would you say it's feasible to say that better planning by the county and their development choices may have eased the issue of poverty just a bit?
4: I think there's some good things that Montgomery County has done. Um, and having moved away from there um some years ago, I'm not up to exactly what's happening um in Montgomery County today, but I know that there was some effort to create affordable housing by requiring developers to reserve a certain number of units for affordable housing, and some of those things have helped um but you're also it's a moving target it's getting harder and harder um you know with what we're doing we have to do more and more because the market is creating more and more inequality particularly in terms of wages that's the biggest one um the minimum wage the federal minimum wage hasn't gone up as much as it should have um and the it hasn't even kept up with inflation it hasn't even kept it used to be about at the at the uh federal poverty uh level for a family of 3 that would make it about 9 to 10 dollars an hour at this point, closer to $10 an hour, Uh, and it's nowhere near that. Uh, And if wages had kept up with productivity, it would be more like the median wage would be more like $18 uh, an hour. So we have a situation where people's wages aren't going up as fast as the the costs are going
0: up. So it's not just Montgomery
4: County, it's everywhere
0: right now and and look, let me shift this over to um homelessness and and poverty and cuz i believe that well it's been proven that homelessness and poverty they're inextricably linked uh especially in especially in urban areas so could you talk about that trend and talk about um the affordable housing uh issue uh in Montgomery County as related to the federal level Well,
4: the first thing to, to A note about homelessness is that our statistics on poverty are based on surveys of households. If you're not in a household, if you're in a shelter or living in a car or whatever, you don't get counted. So, all of our count, the numbers you gave me for people that are below the federal poverty level, doesn't include the homeless.
0: Right. So, here's the million.
4: you You should be adding those numbers on. But it also means that. We kind of segregate things a little bit, so um, the, we don't have the same programs, we don't have the same approach, um, and we've tended to let HUD define the you know the, the homeless problem as people that are have problems like a drug addiction or mental illness. The problem of homelessness is much bigger than that because a lot of it is just plain affordability. There are people living in shelters, and they're working. They may even be working full-time, but their wages are insufficient for them to get in, you know, into housing, given how difficult it is in the housing market now.
0: So the million-dollar question the tonight is, <laughs> what is the best solution for people to get out of poverty? Is it job creation? Is it more work, better affordable housing? And how can people find their way out of poverty and move into the middle class?
4: I think the the pink elephant in the room in terms of talking about poverty that we haven't talked nearly enough about is wages. We talk about changing the poor. We talk about giving people more you know, uh, help, more assistance. But all of our assistance programs are very limited. We don't do much in the way of universal programs. So we don't have a universal housing program. We don't have a universal child care program. Uh, for example so only about 1 out of 5 eligible children gets child care assistance mm-hmm. the the most effective thing to do is for people to get uh wages that are fair wages um that will help them be able to be able to m- to meet their needs most people want to be able to both support their family and take care of their their family and it's very difficult for families to do that. They're having to make, as you said, sitting around the kitchen table and trying to figure out if they even have a kitchen table. Trying to figure out what what's going to have to give this month in order to you know uh, to make their budget.
0: Of course, I, I think that uh, along with uh, wages, education, um, and being uh having a a solid grasp and foundation of education at your feet um uh is definitely a, uh, a a mobilizer it it it's a key force in in that upward mobility um and you know education it it's expensive i mean i went to, i was blessed beyond blessed that my parents uh could help to send me to college but it's still very expensive, and then of course, when students get out of college or uh even people that are going to uh community colleges or trade schools, it's still very expensive to go to school live, work, feed a family and uh it's it's tough out there what can can you just speak to a little bit about that?
4: I think education is very important uh particularly for the individual. if we're looking sort of broadly uh funding education um for particularly for low-income students, instead of I think is a proposal to cut Pell grants and current budget proposals at the federal level. Um, we should be investing in the next generation uh, because that is going to be important to them. But again, we need to also make sure that when they graduate, they are able to to get jobs with benefits and with things like you know paid sick leave, um, so that they can be able to support their uh, families so it's, it, i think it had to work on both
0: yeah i i agree uh dr pierce uh you you've been a fantastic guest and we 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 I, we could talk for hours about <laughs> policy and you have done and dedicated much of your life's work uh, to combating poverty uh, in and around the United States. So um, I cannot give you enough kudos, but I, I certainly appreciate the conversation that we had tonight. And I, I just ask you, leave. could you leave our audience with a final thought? Uh, about? <laughs> Do you have a particular? Well, if, if you were to sum up um, about the, the poverty situation in Montgomery County, how can people... Get involved to, uh, and partner with individuals like yourself, an organization, maybe a university. How can people get involved uh, and find people jobs and work with organizations to bring people out of the poverty level?
4: I think being in solidarity with people that are pushing for higher wages. I'm talking from Seattle. You know, we we move on today uh, April 1st we took our first step and everybody who works for a large employer wages went up to $11 an hour, almost a $2 raise over the state statewide uh, minimum wage. So we are moving that way and you know the the earth did not shudder, you know. <laughs> um we already have higher wages uh, our waiters and waitresses don't have a tip wage. They have the full uh, over $9 an hour and now $11 an hour in uh, in Seattle. So being in solidarity, I think, with and pushing for living wages and increased minimum wage, I think we're seeing across the country if places like South Dakota can raise the minimum wage, I think places like Montgomery County can um, raise the minimum wage. And well, not, they- just, not just the... Uh, the state and you know uh county employees but everybody should um and by bringing that up you you bring up the 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 whole economy because that right. money gets spent and that that makes everybody better off
0: I uh, totally well Dr Dr Pierce thank you for joining us and please come back again we'll stay in touch Okay thank you very All much All right bye ladies and gentlemen uh, another great episode about poverty in Montgomery County another great episode of a minor detail. Uh, thank you for listening tonight and God bless you. Happy Easter. Safe travels. Listen again next week. Good night.